Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we discuss pop culture through the lens of race or gender and sometimes both. I'm your host, Julia Washington, and on today's show, I'm joined by Leslie McNabb, and we're discussing the cult classic, My So-Called Life. This episode of Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous is brought to you by Modesto Reads. Modesto Reads is a community on Instagram highlighting what people in the city of Modesto, California are reading. If you want book recommendations or if you live in the city of Modesto, follow Modesto Reads and use the hashtag Modesto Reads. My so-called life hit the airwaves on August 25th, 1994 and starred Claire Danes, Wilson Cruz, AJ Linger, Jared Leto, just to name a few. But before we dive into the summary and discussion, I want to introduce you to my guest. Leslie McNabb is a child of the 80s whose dad once got her a button that said raised by television. She loves pop culture and getting a glimpse into the lives of others through art and story. Leslie is also the owner of Rise with Recovery, is a leading holistic self-care and relationship recovery coach. While in a relationship with a man who struggled with addiction and then entered recovery, Leslie utilized the wisdom of yoga, holistic wellness, and her own gifts to create calm and resilience in her life and relationship. She also hosts the Partners of Recovery podcast. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Thank you so much for having me. I do a lot of podcast interviews now, and I've been so excited for this one above all of them. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I love what you said about the button and, and how your dad got you the button that said raised by television. Can we start a club, please? I know. It's like, is this kind of insulting you, dad, or is yeah. it insulting me? Like, what? <laughs> but also, TV was so good in the 80s and 90s. So, like, I'm not wow. mad at it, right? It was, I mean, my whole social calendar was like, my friends knew don't call Leslie between eight and 10 PM because she's always watching something. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Which makes you um, a perfect guest to talk about this week's topic. So we're going to do a quick summary for our friends at home who maybe haven't seen the show or that haven't seen it in a while. So friends. I pulled this from ABC's website. So if you hate it, it's not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) A story told from the point of view of a 15 year old female high school student whose angst ridden journey through adolescence, friendship, parents, and life teaches her what it means to grow up. In 1994, Variety had this to say, quote, if she being Angela sounds like any 15 year old you've ever known, or Ben, that's because the central character in my so-called life feels so real. Like many adolescents, she and and the series can be off-putting at first, but it doesn't take long to develop a deep attachment to her, end quote. Variety also goes on to describe Claire Danes as subtle and magnetic as Angela, mixing gawky teenage insecurity with an adult's inner strength. In 2016, Staff writer for The Atlantic, Megan Garber, penned an article titled What I Learned from Rewatching My So-Called Life as an Adult, where she examines how the quality of the show still holds up after all these years. But a paragraph in the article stuck with me. Quote, to be a teenager is to be a simmering mix of arrogance and anxiety and agony and joy, even more crippling self-confidence. It is often to feel that All the beauty and hurt and knowledge the world has ever known can be summoned and captured through one look from the person you like. It is even more often to feel that anything that is not a look from the person you like is offensively trivial. My so-called life was original at the time, a concept that deviated from the traditional high school stories. Even though Angela is the center of the show, we see her friends, her parents, even teachers experiencing their own angst and anxiety. So we're going to start at the very beginning with what is it about this show that drew you to it? Mm. Well, I was 15 in 1994. So speaking of my dad, it's going to get a lot of shout outs apparently, but 
he found it. He used to highlight the TV guide that came out, the paper TV guide. I miss the paper TV guide <laughs> so much. And he would highlight different things and pay attention to what was on. And, you know, he would record things on the VHS and um, saw that this was coming out and just said, hey, you might want to check this out. And it became something that we all enjoyed watching. Um, and I just think that, first of all, it was only one season long, which is heartbreaking and also awesome at the same time because it didn't have a chance to like kind of dry up or get stale or whatever. And, um, and it also just left us hanging and wanting us wanting to know more. And um, so there's that, it's kind of like a little unicorn it's just, I think the show wasn't afraid to touch on anything that could be coming up in a teenager's life and an adult's life. And it even showed some humanness to the, to the teachers, um, you know, from uh, substance use to sexuality to like just everything. So I think that that about it was really what um, kept me coming back for more. Yeah. I had forgotten. Cause I rewatched it obviously to prepare for a conversation. Um, I had owned the VHS box set, yeah. but not every episode I don't think was on the VHS. I don't know. Maybe they were, I don't remember anyway. And I f- had forgotten how it felt so honest to have these conversations. Like I'd never, I don't recall a TV show prior to that about teenagers being so honest about being a teenager. I mean, we had movies like, you know, all of John Hughes canon sort of went there, but not in the same way because the lead's female and she's actually a teenager and she's genuinely like experiencing these emotions. And you just kind of feel like no one's letting me talk like this but the show is talking about it. And I also maybe felt that way too. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. And the combination of the, the music, mm-hmm. the fashion, I have the DVD box set and, and that, and the extras or the behind the scenes, they talked about how um, each of the characters, each of the cast members had a closet, like a wardrobe, and they got to kind of mix and match their clothes and like wear what they wanted to wear. And so I feel like it, it was more real in that way and that they got to kind of express themselves or kind of define what this character would wear. Um, yeah, I, the conversations for sure, just like things that we were not talking about in my household, but we're all sitting there watching it together. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, her little sister, Danielle and I, I think Danielle might be on the show at the time if she was appropriately cast age-wise. Um, I think Danielle and I were roughly the same age. So her age gap with her little sisters, the same age gap as myself and my sister. And I, I didn't pick up on that until this time around. And I thought, oh my mm. God, like, why like I always thought I was more of an Angela and then watching it this time I was like no I'm 100% a Danielle they're all telling me to leave the room they're all telling me to go away like I'm standing in front of everybody being like me 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 and everyone's like no we're busy with Angela (laughs) I know my heart just breaks for her every time I rewatch this because I'm like you know her mom is not happy with the choices that Angela's making wants her to be more a certain way. And yet there's Danielle, like, I'm here. I want to do it. Like, and they barely pay attention to her. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is this something that you rewatch frequently? Like, cause you own the box set. So do you watch yeah. it? You know, um, well, it's interesting because, so I don't know when the DVDs came out, probably like 10 years ago or something, but, um, so I cried when I got that for Christmas gift. I don't know. It's so emotional for me just because it was such a, uh, you know, coming of age time, I think being at that age and feeling, um, feel, I don't know, feel it's just nostalgic. And mm-hmm. so um, it actually might be one of the main reasons that I connected with my partner now of six years, um, because I had that sitting on my shelf. And the first time he came over to my house, he went down the basement. It was down there and he came back up and he's like, so 
I see you have my so-called life on your shelf. And I said, yeah, it's my favorite show of all time. And he's like, no, it's my favorite show of all time. And, you know, he could have totally just been saying that, like, just to, you know, connect with me. We were just starting to date. But when we watched it together, he he could finish all the lines. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love that. The truth. Yeah. And he was in college at the time. So that's interesting, too, that he's like, I was definitely more um, um, emotionally aged as a teenager when I was in college. I could relate to it so much more. But um yeah, so not that often, every few years, probably, so, you know, tune into it, but um, every time I watch it, I just like, oh, the depth of each episode, yes. I, I love it. <laughs> yes, it really, they really weren't scared to go there, and, you know, we'll kind of get into it a little bit more, but just, I didn't realize how much of Ricky's storyline they really got into. I forgot, I had forgotten about that and just how much they really get into the mom and dad relationship. Like they were not scared to be like, we're going to show like, yes, Angela's the main character, but we're going to show the world around her too, because that is influencing and informing who she's becoming. And I loved that. And I just can't really think of TV shows network TV anyway, that they don't really do that as much anymore. And I just think that's really interesting. Like sitcoms kind of to an extent, but not in the way that my, they were doing my so-called life. Yeah. I, it, like I said before, it's kind of a unicorn. It just stands, it, it can stand the test of time and it's just, yeah. I don't know if I've ever had that experience with another show. Mm-hmm. Um, like with this one. Yeah. In 2008, Jezebel ran an article titled, Consider Yourself Dumped, Jordan Catalano, where writer Hortense Smith explains why her love and affection for Jordan Catalano has dried up. At the start of the season, we see Angela grappling with her life change. She's relinquished her friendship with Sharon, and she's spending more time with Rayanne and Ricky. We also discover she has a crush on Jordan Catalano, played by Jared Leto. And let's just be honest, friends, like who didn't know her crush on Jordan Catalano? (laughs) Don't you just love the way he leans? The leaning, Uh. his big blue eyes, holy buckets. The dreamy, moody, and complicated-ish boy who intrigued Angela is the Jordan Catalano. I used to think Jess Mariano was the start of my affection of dark, moody, bad boys, but in rewatching my soul called life, I was, I was reminded, I remembered being 12 years old and crushing so hard. It's just not healthy. He wasn't very smart in school, a little bit lazy, but man, when he looked at Angela, when he leaned, yes, please. I blame him for wanting someone to look at me like that. And the lean, like the lean, we just can't talk enough about the lean. And it's in other movies and TV shows too, when characters do it. And I'm just like, mm-hmm, that's a good move. Thank you. <laughs> but in this television reality, he looked at almost everyone. Nope. That's not what I want to say. But Angela was so aware of her feelings and emotions. It was poetic at times. All too often, teenagers aren't portrayed with depth. The 1980s Brat Pack changed the narrative, but my so-called life truly kept that narrative going. A 2007 New York Times article titled "A Teenager in So-Called" or "A Teenager in Love So-Called" had this to say: Television gives us teenage lust exercised or teenage lust repressed, but rarely does it evoke the way young people translate their carnal urges into something they understand as a deeper abiding affection. Throughout the series, Jordan and Angela have this back and forth, and I believe it's in episode seven titled Why Jordan Can't Read, the two finally have feelings at the same time. Throughout the rest of the season, a whole host of things happen between the pair. So I think we should start at the very beginning with them. What was or is your impression of the relationship? How, if at all, did Angela and Jordan contribute to your opinions about high school love and relationships in general? Ooh, yeah. Because they were really back that. and push and pull. And it was like, <laughs> I forgot how heartstringy it was for Angela until I rewatched it. Yeah. I think, you know, at first it's, it's hormones, right? It's teenage hormones. And like you said in that introduction about, or 
one of those introductions about like a look from anybody else is just not important. Like when you have those, that attraction towards somebody, just forget about everybody, everything else. And, you know, it was like, started out with this fantasy, but it seemed like she didn't feel that self-worth that, you know, like, he's not going to look at me, that kind of thing. At first, it was just like this pure fantasy. He's very dreamy, as you said. And um, yeah, and then you're kind of like, uh, you know, maybe there's not that much to this guy. Like he, I think that article that you read, or you read a quote from said, uh, he's just high all the time. That's what it really comes down to. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, but then yeah, that episode where you find out that he can't or the one before that he can't read, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my gosh, this like explains so much more about him. Like he's struggling to be there every day, and we never really know what's going on at home. And so you kind of like go back I feel like I went back emotionally back and forth like oh you're too good for him Mm -hmm. don't let him treat you that way to like oh yeah I can understand why your heart is opening up for him and you're Mm -hmm. finding out more about him and he's kind of letting you in um but but yeah it's a it's a tricky one um yeah Cause he does, he's, there's that episode where they meet in the boiler room to make out and he doesn't want Mm -hmm. anybody to know. And like, Mm -hmm. that feels like that doesn't feel good when you have, when your fantasy finally kind of becomes a reality and you're just like, this is so great. We're making out in the boiler room and we're laughing and we're having a good time. And then you say, I can't tell anybody like this does not compute. Like what is wrong with me? But it's not her necessarily it's him it's his issue it's his you know he's worried about his reputation and he doesn't want he's not confident in you know how they would be perceived together which is just so sad because like you said you kind of go back and forth between the whole like she's too good for him and I don't know that would have made me mad I'd have been like you don't want people to know that we're (laughs) hanging out like what (laughs) And then, you know, if people haven't watched it yet, I hate to give away all like those special moments. So I'm just going to say like, he does redeem himself at the end of that episode. And then you're like, okay, okay. Um, so yeah, it's kind of that push pull of like, oh my gosh, I don't want you to do this. And then like, you're a teenager. This is what you got to kind of live and learn and mm-hmm. experience this. And yeah, maybe there's not a lot of depth to him, but you know, maybe you're going to figure out your own preferences and you know Mm -hmm. have your own experiences with them so I kind of like looking back now I'm like yeah have that experience just you know be aware that it might not be the forever deep love that you're (laughs) that you're meant for Angela right and it's so hard to think that far too when you're 16 15 16 where you're just like this is, it's just, this is going to last forever. Oh my God. I'm so happy. We're going to last forever kind of thing. But you're, you don't always necessarily realize like there's a whole life still waiting to happen for you. Don't get boxed in, which is, you know, hard for some people, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember I had a crush on somebody. I called him tall, dark and handsome in high school. And only my best friend knew. And I was like, go he he worked at a pizza shop and we would like go and drive and just like look in there and like but never go in but then you know turns out there wasn't that much depth there either you know like once I actually had conversations Mm -hmm. with him so sometimes things are best left from afar like Mm -hmm. admire from afar but as a teenager you just get in those I don't know those hormones and you get attracted to people and Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Cause her relationship with Brian Krakow, they have like these really great, con- I mean, they bicker a lot, but he's kind of on the same intellectual playing field as Angela. So they can get into these conversations and it's more than just, 
you know, it's more than just brooding because Brian can express how he feels and, and what is going on in his mind. Also probably because both of his parents are like, they're, um, psychoanalysts right. or something like that. <laughs> yes. So of course he's like probably been forced into having to have these conversations <laughs> and be well-developed sort of in that way. But, you know, they do have a little bit more substance when they are speaking to each other, Angela and Brian, and you can see the difference between her relationship with Brian and her relationship with Jordan. Cause Jordan's just, kind of like that shiny toy, but I don't think she realizes that he's also kind of a shiny toy because again, the hormones play into that too. Like mm-hmm. I'm definitely distracted by beautiful men. <laughs> like, and, and I'm, and I'm a crone woman and I'm still like, I need to Google and make sure that person is over the age of 21. <laughs> like if it's a celebrity <laughs> on TV or a movie, I'm just like, that person's cute. Let's make sure you're an adult. Cause casting's wonky and sometimes they'll cast you know yes yeah Brian oh my goodness because he's looking at Angela the way that she's looking at Jordan so Mm -hmm. there are all those kinds of dynamics in this too and Ricky's looking at he and Angela actually have like similar tastes in in other guys so Mm -hmm. like there are all those moments of like both of them being attracted to the same person and but yeah and she just and she says to Brian at one point like you'll just never understand you'll never get it you know something like that and we're all like uh duh like he totally gets it because that's who you are to him Mm -hmm. oh yeah and to be like this nerdy type of guy to watch like any girl that you have an affection for friendship or romantic to just sort of fall off for this, um, type that, you know, they tell us, I don't know if your parents did this, but you know, we definitely had conversations in our house about like that boy's not going anywhere. Well, not with me and my sister. I didn't date in high school. I thought it was stupid. Um, but like, you know, you need somebody who has a good future and like all these things. And Brian Krakow is that guy he's, you know, got all he's eight, he has good grades and he's involved and he does all these things. Jordan's playing in a band and you know musicians are a stereotype for a reason <laughs> poor 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 Jordan yeah I'm laughing too because my my partner he's he's a counselor but he's also a musician so mm-hmm. um yeah um oh yeah you said something there that came to my oh about parents yeah I know I we had all those conversations my dad would just say like most guys just want one thing mm-hmm. and you know you know, now I think we can have this conversation as if like both everybody, girls, guys, mm-hmm. people who don't identify as girls or guys, like it's that kind of time. We're all kind of feeling that. They're mm-hmm. all kind of feeling that. So, but at that time it was more like the boys only want sex and girls don't talk about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting too, how a lot has changed over the last 30 years in that, in that regard as well um, with the whole idea that it's only the boys and, and you can see that too. in Sharon, how there, she does have, um, a relationship with somebody and she's wanting to explore more, but you can see that sort of repression in her of like, she's not allowed to, she can't publicly talk about it because the reputation of a girl who does such things, even though she's in like what we perceive as a committed relationship in high school, she still has that fear and worry of like, I'm not allowed to want these things or like these things because society or my peers are going to say X about me if they find out. And then you have Rayanne who is like wanting people to think it's yeah. her. The rumors, like she wants the rumors to be about her, even mm-hmm. though they're not. And, uh, and likes that attention and wants people wants to be seen. Mm-hmm. And we get to see all the behind the scenes like the fa- we get to see her relationship with her mother and kind of that abandonment or neglect in ways of like wanting to be seen wanting to be um like she doesn't have a relationship with her dad and so she craves that out so mm-hmm. um yeah I think that's interesting how you see kind of the same issue but in different perspectives through the characters mm-hmm Yeah. The writers did a really good job with that too. I think when I look back on my time watching television from the eighties and nineties, and I'm seeing all these, you know, sort of pro femme things that you didn't realize at the time were 
revolutionary because you have such little life experience. You don't necessarily remember like the repressive television of the fifties. Um, and when I look back on that, I realized like, Oh, a lot of the stuff that I feel about equity and equality and, um, you know, just female power comes from some of these shows because they're showing it in a way that had never been seen before, but I didn't know it hadn't been seen before. I just thought that was normal because I'm alive at the same time as the show is existing, but the creators of the show remember a time when these things weren't allowed to be discussed on television. Yeah. And, and even the parents, the, the, the roles that they play. So Patty, uh, owns the family business and then Graham, the dad works for her. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little bit different, uh, stereotypically, especially at that time. Um, and so you can kind of see these, the roles kind of shifting in what the traditional way is Mm -hmm. and how they might look a little bit different. And the show definitely addresses that. Mm -hmm. I do too. And we'll get more into the family dynamics in a little bit. Hey friends, did you know that I have spoken about representation in media and literature other than just on the podcast? I've been booked to speak at company meetings, panel discussions, voiceovers for commercials and video narratives, and to moderate discussion panels. To learn more about how you can book me for an event, just shoot me an email. Pop culture makes me jealous at gmail.com. Use speaking engagement as the subject line. Looking forward to working with you. The show is often praised as being one of the first to host an openly gay character, Ricky, as part of the ensemble. Not only did he have depth and insight, he portrayed more than a stereotype. He was fleshed out and fully feeling, confused about life and how he fit in. Rayanne and Angela loved him and accepted him. And in any TV reflection docuseries, you will see that Ricky, played by Wilson Cruz, is a huge part of that shift that began in the 1990s around gay characters. Earlier, I mentioned Angela's relationship slash friendship with Sharon. Sharon is Angela's lifelong friend. And in sophomore year, they've grown apart. Angela's dyed her hair and is dressing differently. She's made friends with Rayanne and Ricky. The pair could not be more different from Sharon and Brian. But as many reviewers noted since 1994, my so-called life captures the angst and frustrations of teenagehood in the most authentic way. And there's something about being in high school restless and wanting to try something different. Angela Chase embodies this, navigating her new life while her old one is still very present. By the middle of season one, all of these characters are friendly, which enhances the dynamics of the show. So I kind of want to talk about the friendships on the show because that line that Angela's walking between her old life and her new life is really hard. And I think in my opinion, my so-called life kind of does a really good job at showing you how to toe that line and saying it's okay to screw up because you're a kid. But do you have like a favorite friendship duo or pair throughout the series? And then tell me a little bit. (laughs) It's so hard to have a favorite. Well, first of all, I just want to say Ricky is my favorite overall. I love Rayanne and Ricky. I bet those were you know, great roles to play. Um, Mm -hmm. but he's just pure love and I love the way how they, he, uh, you know, describes who he is in Mm -hmm. different scenes and like the whole thing about him feeling comfortable in the girl's bathroom and kind of talking about that. And he says like, um, deep dive into, yeah, his life, as you said, but, um, friendship duos I kind of love how the friendships start to happen through like this new connection that Angela has with Ricky and Rayanne Mm -hmm. and then you start to see different pairings throughout the season of like different people together and eventually you have like Ricky and Brian hanging out and you have Rayanne and um, Sharon hanging out and like these different I just love seeing um, how different friendships form more than mm-hmm. having a favorite overall. I'm trying to think what, um, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I guess I, I feel like Ricky and Rayanne, there's like codependency there a little mm-hmm. bit, like with him having to take care of her and yeah. like that sort of thing. 
I don't know if I could pick a favorite. Do you have a favorite? I, you know, I, I put that down and I was like, shit, I don't think I can answer that question myself <laughs> <laughs> because you're right about all the stuff you said about Ricky, like the, just the, what they did for that character on that show, I think is just so freeing for so much of, you know, that era, um, especially because the negative portrayals of gay characters in media prior to that. And it's huge. Like it didn't seem weird to me that he was in the girl's bathroom and then they, and forgive me if you said this, my internet went out while we were talking, but you know, later they address it in a different episode where he's like, I don't like being in the boys bathroom. It does. I'm not comfortable there. And I was just like, yes, like, thank you um, for giving him the language to be able to say that, but he has to be so grown, but I do love um, actually. Okay. Now that we're talking about it, I think I'm going to say Angela and Ricky, because I do love how they sort of through everyone else's stuff, they sort of always manage to gravitate towards each, each other. It's almost like they stabilize each other. Like they know they're the stable ones in the group. So they can like stand together and get through everyone else through all the stuff. That's what it felt like to me, like especially that. when Rayanne was going through all of her stuff. I like that. And they can be themselves around mm-hmm. each other um, and kind of share like I said earlier with them having similar love interests, like mm-hmm. Ricky's comfortable in telling her that and like standing up for himself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, you know, when in the past few years, when there were all these issues about, um, restrooms and who can go into certain restrooms, I just like, first thing that came to mind was like, Ricky needs to be able to go into that restroom. Mm-hmm. And like, that was like my reference and definitely formed my, lifelong opinions about Mm -hmm. certain things about certain social justice issues um so yeah I can get behind that yeah (laughs) and I love how when I I I also love how they weren't afraid to show his hardships the couple episodes where he um was dealing with homelessness because his family life wasn't stable and just how and I I got so frustrated with um Patty and Graham, because they were very much that old sort of style of life where it's just like, well, we're not his parents. We don't want to get involved. Like he needs to be with his family, not necessarily realizing that being with his family isn't necessarily an option. And when that teacher comes in and sort of gives them this speech about like, how could you turn away a kid? And when I think about how I raise my son now, and he talks about friends who might have hard times with, you know, their parents and it's like, well, I don't want to get involved with their drama, but I also don't want them sleeping on the street. So tell them to sleep on the couch if they need a place to go. And I didn't realize that, like, like you said, the forming of the opinions, I didn't realize that maybe that's where that came from for me, because watching this teenaged kid having to navigate a very real world in that way is just so it's more heartbreaking now I think being an adult with teenagers than at the time you are a teenager yeah yeah I know um I saw just locally a a mom post that her daughter was missing on Facebook and asked if anybody had any information and so you know I had that conversation with my daughter last night and I was like if you see anything with that notifies like where she might be or anything like that please just let me know she's like I don't really know her but I've seen her before and um so you know these issues that are still they're still present today Mm -hmm. um and this was like the first glimpse that I had that I feel like I was aware of these things happening because I came from a very privileged household um which I feel like you know, Angela does too, and doesn't realize it for, you know, everybody Mm -hmm. else is kind of looking and we're going to, I know we're going to talk about family. So I can wait, I can hold it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to say was just showing the fear of the teacher of bringing him, of the teacher bringing Ricky home, because then his life would be quote found out in that fear of being fired. Like I forgot how prevalent that still was in the nineties because now there's so, especially in California, I'm not sure about other States, but there's so many protections now, like you are considered a protected class if you're under the LGBTQ umbrella and that is no longer a fireable offense. And so it's just, it, it's, it's nice to see how far we've come, but also it's a reminder of like, we still have so 
so far to go. <laughs> yeah. I remember being out and uh, going to the movies with a friend and I saw a teacher out with, with her, what I now think was her partner. And she was just very like standoffish kind of like, Oh, hi. And then just like kept going and didn't really want to engage with us. Um, and, you know, later on we're like, Oh, I think that was her partner or her date or, but yeah, at that time people could be fired for that. And, um, and I, you know, I feel like it wasn't that long ago. I haven't heard anything recently, but you know, people being fired in private schools and that sort of thing. So yes, uh, like I said, there's just like, <laughs> so much depth in each of these episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Hughes by Jewels offers custom artwork and original prints specializing in watercolor, focusing on the human form and different shades of skin. If you're looking for that perfect gift for a birthday or have a special memory you'd like to commemorate, visit Hughes by Jewels on Instagram or find the Etsy shop of the same name. That's Hughes, H-U-E-S by Jewels, J-U-L-S. Angela's relationship with her mother is tense. Patty Chase, played by Bess Armstrong, is a beautiful and delicate, elegant, and oftentimes vain woman. As a 40-year-old woman raising a family in the 1990s, Patty is fighting what she believes her daughter should be, or even once was, and what her daughter is becoming. Angela sees her mother's vanity and believes that she herself is not beautiful like her mother. Patty is constantly offering suggestions to her daughter, which feel like criticism and judgment. And honestly, watching it again, I was like, yeah, it feels like you're, it feels like criticism and judgment to me too. (laughs) All the while, Danielle is clearly the daughter that Patty wanted Angela to be. She's bubbly and fun. Not that Angela isn't, but all the wonderful things Angela and Patty did together, Angela no longer wishes to do. And rather than spending the time with the daughter who would enjoy it, Patty fights the change. We see the entire family, what it's like to be the children when the parents aren't around, what it's like to be the parents when the children aren't around. So I want to talk about what your thoughts are on the portrayal of the family dynamic in the show. And then that relatability factor as well. Like I was starting to say there a minute ago about how um, it seems like everybody outside of the family looks to this family as like the ideal. and. Mm-hmm like, um, you know, Brian not having his parents there a lot, like they make him very independent and they're not involved as much. And he like looks at Angela, like you should be lucky that your parents are here and want to spend time with you. And Rayanne looking at the family, like you have a dad who cooks for you. And like, I would love to have that. So I feel like this family is, um, uh, has all this privilege, doesn't realize it. And, and I think that's kind of like what comes up for me and my own work with privilege and that, like, you don't always realize it sometimes, you know, like you don't always realize the privilege that you have because you're struggling too with different things. And there are each of the characters in the family has struggles. And so you might not recognize right away that you do have these different Mm -hmm. privileges, but, um, Yes, I am very triggered by Patty. And I think it's because I can relate to her because I am more like rigid with rules and like that doesn't seem safe or that's like against the norm, even though like I would not, I don't want to be Patty, but I know (laughs) I see her in me sometimes, you know, as far as like keeping my kids safe and and that sort of thing. Hopefully not judgmental. I don't want, I don't want to have that, but Um, and it's hard because Patty doesn't think she's being judgmental in her delivery. Right. And so, but the episode, when her mom comes to town, you see where she gets it from and you're just like, (laughs) okay, let's break the cycle, ma'am. Like, come on, let's break this cycle. But it's hard. It's hard because she thinks she's being helpful to Angela and Angela's just like, this is just making it worse. (laughs) You're just like, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That we can all hope that we do a little bit better in certain things than our parents and, um, you know, have more open minds and that sort of thing. But, um, 
yeah, you can see um, just those family dynamics of like wanting to have family dinner and that yeah. sort of thing that, um, you know, Angela's like, uh, why do I have to do this? Yeah. And other people are like, ah, you need to do that. Like, you're so lucky to have yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Especially when you get a better glimpse into Rayanne's life and like the first introduction of her mom, she's drinking and she's probably a little buzzed. And you're just like, for me, my parents didn't drink in front of us really, unless it was like a holiday or something like that. My dad just never touches the stuff, but my mom, you know, she likes wine and margaritas, but we were adults before it was like, we're having wine at dinner. I think my brother, I think when my brother turned 21, he's seven years older than I am is when my parents like started incorporating alcohol into like holiday meals and like family time. And even then it wasn't very much. And it was when all of us were 21, they were actually like, there was more of a, um, we're going to have red wine with dinner kind of vibe. That was never part of my childhood at all. So seeing that with Rayanne's mom, it was just like, wow, that's crazy. Or that's wild. And then when I became a parent myself, it was very ingrained in my head of like, you don't drink around your kids. Like I remember very clearly his, my son's dad and I had a fight about the first birthday party. Cause we didn't have alcohol birthday parties for children. That was not my family. We had a fight. He was like, we need to have beer at the party. And I'm like, it's a one-year-old's birthday party. Like, do you understand where I'm coming from? This is never, this is not my norm. Like we don't do that in my family. We're not having alcohol at a one-year-old's birthday party. We had, it was like a solid day. We were mad at each other about this whole, will we have beer or won't we have beer? Ultimately at the end of the day, I won, but still it was just like, when I, you know, it was just such a, such a foreign concept to me to like be drinking around your kids. Like that's not a thing my parents ever did. That's not a thing my family did. So Rayanne's life was just like, holy buckets. Like that's, I had no idea at the time. Now I know lots of people, people in that scenario. And it's, you know, some parents have a handle and some parents are clearly coping and you're just trying to like, how, how can we hug Rayanne's mom? So she can feel like she's not a failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And the, the dynamics between Patty and Rayanne's mom is <sighs> Like there's definitely judgment going on there. And, um, you know, Rayanne's mom feels that. And um, and then yeah, her wanting to check in on Rayanne, Rayanne and, you know, the mom being like, I'm her mom, I can handle this. And yeah, so that's so interesting about your parents and like that worked for your family. And so like, of course you want to like pass on that same kind of, those same kind of, values and traditions in your own family but we all come from different families so yeah <laughs> what is standard in one could be totally different from another mm-hmm. yeah he was uh, like I, I don't think any of my friends are going to show up if there's not beer and I'm like it's a child's <laughs> birthday party I don't understand the, I don't understand I really and we you know I was 20 when I had my son so I was 21 yeah. at this point so I'm like I don't very limited life experience yeah, you're just starting to have it yourself, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But I can, the whole um, mother-daughter thing too. So my daughter's 14. She's about to turn 15. So now as I'm watching it this year, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, now the the roles have reversed. Now I'm watching it from the parent lens, although I can still remember what it was like to be a teenager. And my mom was my mom's 100% Italian, very petite. I'm five foot seven. That's not super tall, but it's like I was always taller than my mom. We just didn't look alike. And so, you know, I could see like her classic beauty, but feel like I don't look like her. And my grandma would say, like, you look so much like your dad and all growing up. And I was like, but I don't have a mustache. And, you know, like, I just didn't understand that as a little kid. Like, I don't look like my dad because I don't have a mustache. And um, so that kind of envy of like my mother's beauty, but knowing that I didn't look like her and then, you know, having to come to a certain age and like, that's okay. Like we have our own beauty in different ways, but kind of wanting to be like your mom. And, um, and so I can relate to that, that kind of relationship there and 
definitely like with the hair stuff, I wasn't allowed to cut my hair until I was 12. Uh, it was always long. It's long now by choice. Cause I think my mom brainwashed me when I was little and like, <laughs> you have to have long hair. Um, and so like that whole, like, I don't know what that is kind of control from a parent of like what your child can do with mm-hmm. their own hair. Mm-hmm. Like that was a little different for me when I had my daughter and that like, yeah, you want to get a pixie cut? You're 10 years old. Like, sure. That's it's hair. It's going to grow back, mm-hmm. you know, like trying to give her like some empowerment over her own body and that sort of thing, but also having limits. And, right. and so yeah, the whole thing with hair was relatable to me. I love what you said though about the um having limits but still allowing that, you know, exploration because I think with Patty's generation, that's just not how she was raised. Like it was my way or the highway kind of parenting. And so she's trying to balance that line of like, you know, I want my kids to be who they are, but also you should be this way. And so you can, right. kind of, this time around, I can see the struggle in her to be like, well, what do we do? Like, how are we supposed to support Angela? Cause she's not how she's not turning out how we thought this would turn out. Um, and now like with our generation of parenting, we're a little bit more like, like my parents, like your mom, my parents were like, you can't, mm-mm. you have to be in, we had to be in high school before we could start wearing makeup. Um, I don't even think I was allowed to dye my hair until I got into high school. And then it was, the rule was natural colors only, which red is a natural color, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but still, but still, you know, it was just a lot of like, um, different things. And like you, with my son, it was like, he's like, can I, well, he shaved his head and that drove me crazy. That was the only thing that I was actually had a physical response to, or it's just like, I don't like it. Cause he has beautiful hair. And I was just mm-hmm. like, you, that's the thing you yeah. see as a parent, you're like, you see how perfect they are. Right? Yeah. And like. <laughs> but when he wants to bleach it and dye it and all these things, I'm like, yeah, go ahead, honey. Like, it's fine. Just, you know, do it after picture day. So like, I don't get shit from grandma or a grandparent about your hair being bright blue on picture day. Um, like his last one, his friend shaved his head and then she did handprints on his hair. And I was like, that's fun. Like, cool. And it's, it washed out like in two weeks. Cause they didn't right. use that great of dye. <laughs> Yeah, that's such a good point about uh, picture day too. I like tell my son, there are like two days a year where I tell you what to wear. And this is one of them. We're going to have, you know, if you have to do a class picture and you're standing up, like your pants have to not be like ripped and all this stuff. But uh, yeah, I think that's what it comes down to is like, um, just, I just see the beauty in them and like, you don't need to change, mm-hmm. but then the other, you know, knowing that perspective, like, but it's fun to be creative and mm-hmm. try new colors and do new things. And so trying to, um, kind of test those waters and see, but, but yeah, like you said, he shaved his head and you hated it. It's like, <laughs> what, what is that within that's like making us feel that way about yeah. something that they're choosing to do? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. And then, you know, here's Danielle. Who's just like, mom, I'll be, I'll be your pretty perfect princess. Like pay attention to me. I'll do all those things with you. But I did love that episode where Angela full on calls her out and she's just like, mom, you're beautiful. And I'm not. And her mom's like, what? Like you are so beautiful. Just, I love that immediate swoop in of like, I mean, this is my version and interpretation of it. This is not how it actually went down. But in my mind, it was like that swooping in of like, girl, you crazy. Like you are beautiful. Don't buy into that bullshit. We just don't happen to look exactly the same. Yeah. I love that too. It wasn't like she even had to think about it or anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And thinking back to her mom and how judgmental. And then also, you know, Patty has her own haircut and I think it might've had to do with uh it being a pilot episode and then like her she probably already had short hair as an actress by the second episode or something but it was kind of like oh maybe you were inspired by your daughter uh to try something new yeah I was listening to an interview that Angela her real name is Claire Danes (laughs) did with on the armchair expert and she um talked about how when they shot the pilot she was 13 and so like it was like a year before it even got picked up 
So, you know, the whole hair thing was probably is totally plausible because that's a long time to go between shooting a pilot and then actually getting ordered, which yeah, happens a lot. Wow. I didn't realize she was 13, but there's definitely notable difference in how she looks a lot younger in that first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I remember hearing an interview with her and she said something like, I didn't even know what I was saying in some of these yeah. lines because yeah. they so like thought provoking and deep. And at that age, I could totally understand that. Like, what am I even saying right now? Yeah. What, is, what does this mean? Yeah. Out of the group cast, you know, the teenagers, she's definitely the youngest one. Everyone was like in their twenties at this point. This show, in my opinion, still holds up in terms of themes of high school angst. While I have no idea what it's like to be a high school kid in the decades in this decade or even the last, I do remember seeing Angela on screen and feeling like I wasn't the only one confused, crushing on boys and wanting to break away from my parental expectations. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time out. And actually, I appreciate you presenting this topic as an option for us to discuss. Like I love, I was just so happy to rewatch it. So thank you for bringing it back into my life. Can you tell our friends where they can find you if they want to keep up with you online? Yes. Thank you so much for having me because just having a conversation about the show, it just doesn't happen that often for me because, you know, like so my friends watch it, they always associated it with me because I was obsessed with it, but um, you know, like I'll even bring it up to somebody and they're like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that show, but having like an actual conversation about it, besides my partner, he'll talk about it anytime now, which I love, but, um, I just really appreciate being here. So thank you for having me. And, um, yeah, so I'm a holistic relationship coach. Um, and I oftentimes work with people who have a relationship that's been challenged by, things like substance use, mental health, that sort of thing. Um, That's been my story. My partner's in recovery. He's a chemical dependency counselor now, and we've um, recovered from things like codependency myself and and addiction and all those things. So it's my passion to talk about relationships. So um, if you want to connect with me, you can find me at risewithrecovery.com. Thank you. And we'll link it in the show notes for all of our friends listening so they can take a look at your site. And I think I should also mention, I forgot to mention this. The show was canceled after its first season due to low ratings. MTV later did pick it up and re-air it, which caused a resurgence in its popularity. And now you can find it um, on any... I think you can find it on the ABC app and it's currently playing on Hulu. So it is owned by Disney probably or ABC or one of their, their subsects. But anyway, <laughs> go watch mm-hmm. my so-called life and then come back and talk to us online on Instagram. You can find us at pop culture makes me jealous until next time. Friends pop culture makes me jealous is written, edited and produced by me, Julia Washington. If you love our show and want to support it, there's a few ways you can do that. You can become a supporter on Patreon for $10 a month to receive ad-free episodes with bonus content, or you can write a review and rate the podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And lastly, if neither of those things is your style, you can find us on Instagram, give us a follow and share our video clips with your friends. We're on IG as pop culture makes me jealous. Thanks for tuning in y'all.